Hello, welcome to Irreverent Testimony, brought to you by Netroots Radio, the political podcast by and for millennial and Gen Xer types from a left-wing perspective. It is Saturday, February 29th. Happy Leap Day, 2020. I'm Travis. I'm Rachel. And we're back, and I wish we had this happy, fun time, good news for you, mm. but we sure don't. Nope. Um, we need to get started talking about the coronavirus. Because if you're just paying attention to sort of the news and the president and the president's staff, then uh, you're not getting good information. So, which I'm sure none of you are, but <laughs> no, <clears throat> here's some like you know facts and things to tell your dad. Uh, yeah, and and if you're wondering, well, who the hell is this guy? I I do have a master's in public health. Uh, I don't like to pull rank with my degree usually, but when I have to, I have to. So my master's is in public health with a concentration in disease prevention and health promotion. Uh, I've worked in clinical research, not necessarily on stuff like this, but I've worked uh, in many ERs and ICUs, and I've worked in all kinds of situations, understanding a lot of the basics of germ theory and virology. And for a layman, I know a little bit about what's going on. So if you listen to this show for a lot of your news coverage, then you know, there's good reason to listen to what we have to tell you. Um, my first first advice is don't freak the hell out like this is like one of those movies with the deadly virus that's going to kill everybody. The mortality rate is somewhere between roughly 1% and 2%, we think. So if you get the coronavirus, you're 98 to 99% going to survive. Um, that's important to know because... God only knows what's going around on the internet and 4chan and QAnon and your, the blog that your uncle reads and the email chains and all that shit, right? Right. I would say this um, for our listeners who may be older or have other um, immunocompromised immune systems. Yeah, yeah. All, all sorts of things. This, um, this applies to you less so, right? So there are definitely some of our listeners who are... Um, at greater risk. And I don't want mm-hmm. to ignore you or pretend like you don't exist or pretend like this isn't really scary for you in a way that it's maybe not for the younger, healthier um, listeners that we have. Because I think that's something that has been happening a lot. People have been like, don't worry, it's probably not you. And it's like, well, maybe it might be, though. So um, if you are one of those folks, just, you know, we I'm acknowledging you and I'm and especially like hoping that you can take as many precautions as possible and um, protect yourself from getting this. But for the rest of them, our listeners, um, for the rest of us, um, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the big thing. This this is not, uh, at least for now it seems, not one of these um, possible pandemics that um, is super deadly. That being can said... Can you just talk about, I think... I'm going to get to all of it. When you say pandemic, I think people assume that means the number of people who die. But can you explain that that's not true? Yeah, pandemic uh, just it basically means, I mean, the, the textbook definition of it is one thing, but it essentially means a, a global outbreak of a disease. Right. It has nothing to do with how many people die. Right. Just sort of how far reaching it is and mm-hmm. how many people are infected. Now, the flip side of that is where you have... The pre- I don't mind to get too into the politics, but you have the president, Fox News, saying, like, this is a hoax. This is no big deal. Don't pay attention to it because they only care about Trump's reelection right now. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not true either. It is a dangerous, dangerous disease. Um, it 
everybody likes to talk every year about how many people the flu kills, which is upwards of, you know, 10,000 or more every single year, just the regular old flu. Mm -hmm. Well, this is 20 up to 20 times more deadly. So it's still a low percentage, relatively speaking, but you're still talking about a lot of people. So if we're talking about this, if this were to sweep the nation, you know, or the, well, let's talk just in, in numbers people can sort of comprehend. Let's say this sort of thing were to sweep the nation. You're talking about millions potentially dying. That's a lot of people. Um, so this is serious. I've and heard it, people refer to it as the, sort of in relation to the Spanish uh, flu back in like 1918. Mm-hmm. Had about the same mortality rate and it was devastating. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we have better hygiene now and lots of other factors. The Spanish but, flu, I would, I, would, I would say, was a bit more virulent um, in, in terms of, of, you know, how badly it how spread contagious. how contagious it mm-hmm. was. Mm-hmm. Um but also, uh, I think it was more dangerous um, than the coronavirus. But in any event, yeah, like we, we have better things. We know more now. Like yeah. they learned on the fly while that pandemic was happening. Like, oh, you should cover your mouth when you cough and sneeze. Like they right. didn't really know uh, all that well. Now we know. So uh, their next question is, well, how, 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 how do I stay safe? Uh, one, not with a mask. Uh, if you get sick, I would, and you have to be out, you know, out among people, I would highly suggest wearing a mask. Please do so. But wearing a mask while healthy is not really going to protect you other than it will keep you from touching your nose and mouth. Um, so essentially, the best way to protect yourself from the coronavirus is the same way you would protect yourself from the seasonal cold or flu. Um, wash your hands thoroughly, especially after any contact with, um, it, it looks like some, some very recent, um, you know, uh, not, I don't want to say research, but, uh, some information, information, anecdotal information looks like it might be a virus that is spread much more through like being on surfaces than face to face. So like touching doorknobs, touching tables, flat smooth surfaces where the virus can just kind of sit and survive outside of the body probably for a few days, as a lot of these viruses do. I mean, the most, the way that it is most likely to get transmitted is if somebody's sneezing, coughing things hit your face or hit your hands and you touch your face. Like that's the primary way that it gets transmitted from everything I've read is like, yeah, if somebody yeah. coughs in your face or you, you know, you touch a surface or whatever. It's, it's about it getting into your mouth but and that, face that's, and eyes. That's and very close. I want to, I want to specify that's very close contact. Right. What, what the, what I read this morning is that let's say you were in a movie theater and you're in the back row, somebody in the front row coughs. That's probably not. No, they say as, it's about six feet. Yeah. Yeah. As, as dangerous. So, mm-hmm. um, so most of the transmission has been among families. Yeah. Yeah. Very close contact or uh, perhaps touching surfaces that an infected person had touched. So, And then keep, touching your mouth yeah, or face or keep, whatever. Keep the sanitizer on hands. Wash your hands. That's the best thing. Soap and water doesn't have to be antibacterial soap because, of course, this is a virus. So yeah. antibacterial doesn't really do anything. But, you know, just regular hand washing, which, you know, gets the crap, whatever that's off your hands and washes it away. That's the whole point. So washing hands with soap and water. Um, basically all the time, certainly before you eat, 
if you have access to soap and water and you actually you have to scratch your nose or you have to you know get something out of your eye try to wash your hands first i know it sounds ridiculous and and ourselves we've been ye- we were yelling at each other in the car this morning yes. like stop rubbing your nose stop rubbing your eye <laughs> like it's hard I, we have allergies and yeah we have allergies and, and right now our allergies suck too on top of all this so right. we're constantly touching our face and wiping our nose and scratching our eyes yes and like you know it's the worst time to be doing it but also hand sanitizer if you don't have access to soap and water and you really need to scratch your face just like get one of those keychain hand sanitizers mm-hmm. quick thing and then you know it's it's more helpful than if you don't yeah yeah right it, it certainly is and just some of the i've worked in food service too a long time so a lot of this stuff i already know but like if you're going to use a public restroom hold on to that paper towel you dried your hands with to open the door handle mm-hmm. when you leave and mm-hmm. just take the paper towel with you and you know, toss throw it, it out or toss it or something yep. yep but like try to avoid touching those kinds of surfaces with your bare hands yeah um wash your hands don't touch your face um if you get sick, please don't leave your house if you can. Yeah. That's the biggest thing, right? If you are sick, the best thing you can do, the best thing all of us can do everywhere to protect <laughs> ourselves is to protect other people. Yeah. And if you get sick, stay the fuck home. Wear a mask. Like, try to protect everybody else. And I know that's not always possible, and we're going to get into that in a minute, but that's the other thing is just stay the fuck home, please. Yeah. So, I mean, that's some of our basic advice. There's more information online. I, I just, the CDC, yes, or the NIH, yes, information, anything from the White House. Ignore it. Ignore it. I, I'm sorry, but I'm sorry to say that. I'm sorry to sound political in saying that, but they are. You're not the one making this political. They no, are. no, no. And like, that's just the fact. And they are, they are offering real bad advice. Yeah. Dangerous, yeah. dangerously bad advice. Because yeah. again, all they care about is Trump's reelection right now. Everything else be damned. Right. And if they want to do that, let them do that. But you need to protect yourselves and like tell your Republican dad, like try to get through to them and be like, look, I know you love Trump. It's fine. You're going to vote for him. Just please for this, for this, can you listen to, you know, me and the doctors instead of him, please. Right. And you know what? Most of them probably will because they realize he's full of shit. But and like, like my parents are over 65. Yeah. So they are at much greater risk of dying from this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so are their friends. And like, I don't have grandparents anymore, but you know, they are, my parents' generation are at the greatest risk of, of dying from this. So yeah. them listening to this maniac. And Rush, or Rush Limbaugh. Right. Or, or any of the rest of them. You know, you and I were talking about in the car today, like, <clears throat> I don't. I find it very inconvenient that this is happening in an election year. And yeah. I, I don't really give a shit about how it affects the election. I I I would rather that it happen in a non-election year and have no effect on the election, but that we get good information out to people so that we can minimize the pandemic. I don't know if the you get that with Trump no matter when, but that yeah. That it's happening right now is really inconvenient because they are making shit up because they don't want... They know that they can't handle this. They know that they cut the CDC by a lot. They know that they did all these things that are going to make this worse and that they're going to handle it badly. So they're just trying to convince people it's not true. And it's very foolish because people eventually are going to figure out that it's true when everyone around them is getting sick. But for right now, it's going to make it worse because nobody's going to listen to the facts because he's worried about his reelection. And that sucks. Yeah, I think it's more likely to be the opposite, that people panic and freak out. Uh, maybe a bit unnecessarily. Um, 
you know, people sort of react the way your immune system reacts to things. Like people don't realize this, but like typically it's not the bacteria or the virus that, that kills you or makes you sick. It's your body's reaction to it. And I think society is sort of the same thing when you have, (laughs) no, seriously, sociologists have studied this. When you have a breakdown uh, because of, of a panic or fears or things like that. And like stock markets tumble and supply chains get all fucked up. It's like our reaction to it can make things worse. Right. And like, I, I think there's as much chance of that. But like, you know, if you have a MAGA dad who's out there say, oh, it's all bullshit, it's all a hoax, like try to talk to them. Yeah. And yeah, some people's MAGA dads are going to like put themselves at risk to spite us and like, the, I know, or Obama or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, I hope that doesn't happen. I know it is going to happen because we're in a very dumb place right now in history. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do the best we can. Um the other thing to remember is that if it becomes a pandemic um, and it even if, you know, most people don't die, um, it's pretty serious illness that um, if you have a mild version of it, it may take up to two weeks to get better. If you have a more severe version of it, it can take from like three to six weeks to get better. And yeah. if that happens and enough people and workers and things um, get have to stay home, it could potentially affect things like the supply chain and particularly what's happening in China, considering how much, how many products we get from China and how it sort of is spreading there. um, That could also impact the supply chain. This is going to have economic ripples going Mm -hmm. forward for months. And that's, you know, just from the political, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that in the following weeks. Like right now, this is like, frontline triage how to protect yourself yeah. stuff and, and and again let's again let's back up and take a breath and say like you may get this virus and most of you it'll be like getting the flu it'll right. suck you'll yep. feel sick for a few days or a week or a week and a half probably and then you'll move on you'll be fine rachel got what well, did you had the bird flu once right? i had the swine the flu. the swine flu back in 2009 you swine and i was attending university at the time and uh because I'm, I went late, not because I'm young. Um, and uh, I worked at the university, at the flower shop, and then I also went to the university and also lived on campus. And so I was always going to get it, but I also didn't know anything about it, so I really didn't think about it or take any kind of precautions. I was just like, oh, the swine flu, blah. And then I got it, and it was the sickest I've ever been in my life. It was awful. And what my university did was it was right at the beginning of the year. So it was like in August or beginning of September. And they said, if you have symptoms, A, don't go to the health clinic. Mm -hmm. B, don't go to class. And there's literally a button on the website that you could click. And it just excused you from any attendance at school until you were better. And there was no questions asked. And it did limit the exposure to most students on our campus because people were allowed to stay home with no repercussions. Um... And so if the sick people just didn't go to school. And so we had a lesser outbreak. I think I was exposed because I was on campus literally like every hour of every day in some way or another. Um, And I was young and stupid and I didn't take any precautions. So it was really bad. And I probably should have been hospitalized because my fever uh, was really out of control for about four days. Um, I was putting ice on my head. It was really bad. But... um, so, also get a flu shot if you haven't. It's not too late. It might not help, but it also would help if you got the coronavirus and then didn't get the flu on top of it. So, um, it's not, it doesn't really work that way. Do but. that if you haven't. Also, let's not spread yeah. the flu around because it's also really bad. Yeah. Um, just always get vaccinated. 
Um, (laughs) So, yeah, it's, you know, it is scary and it is here. Um, Somebody just died in Washington State. Yes. yes. So first um, first death they're sure of. Yeah. In terms of an American here that did not travel abroad or anything. Yeah. The first death period, I think, in the United States. But let's keep I want to keep dispelling some myths and rumors. Sure. There is not going to be a vaccine available probably. Right. For 12 to 18 months. Yep. Um, there is not going to be, I don't think, very effective and uh, readily available retroviral treatment. No. Available it's for looking at, but six months yeah, to a year at it's least. Not, yeah. Um, so there's that. So don't, you know, don't expect that these things are going to ride to your rescue. The best yep. thing is just don't get sick um, if you can help it. And if you do get sick, don't spread it to others. Yeah. Um, Okay, in the coming days, starting with tomorrow, as sort of a sick joke, uh, Donald Trump put Mike Pence like in charge as, as his the czar, the coronavirus czar, mm-hmm. which if you know anything about Mike Pence and his history, actually turned an HIV problem into an epidemic in his home state of Indiana by uh, resisting needle exchanges and things like that. Uh, something we know quite a lot about. I think most yep. of the public probably doesn't. So he's the worst person to put in charge. I mean, that was mostly about hating gay people to the extent that he was really willing. Like, this isn't just hating gay people on, like, a surface level by, like, saying fag or whatever. This is public policy encouraging the murder, basically, of the death of of gay people. But that was really politically damaging for him. That was a a real F up by Pence. Um, And now he's... Like, when we say, like, hate gay people, like, this is what we're talking about. Just let them die, even though... There was ways to prevent it. But this was even more, not necessarily gay people, this was more of a problem of intravenous drug users. Yeah, that But too. in any event, um, yeah, so Pence is going to be on the Sunday show saying God knows what. Yep. Don't pay attention. Um, whatever Trump says, obviously, is lunacy. You're not, you don't want to pay attention to that. Uh, but the head of the CDC and one of the main doctors, Dr. Suri Suchi, I forget what his name is, Older guy. They're not letting him talk, by the way, but when he does talk, listen to what he has to say. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and really, that's all we can do. That's all we can do to tell you to to prevent. It's very sad and unfortunate and dangerous that we can't trust, you know, the the head of the federal government to tell us even the right thing about what to do. Never before no. in history, I think, have we been in that situation. No. I mean, even if it was Reagan or George W. Bush or No, because this whoever, is something that doesn't, care what you believe or who you are or where you live or who you voted for. And it was something or, that would transcend politics. Even George W. Bush at that point would say, I better do my job as president and protect people right now. Right. Because it's literally like, it's not like if you love Trump, the disease is going to go, well, Trump said we weren't real, so I guess you don't believe in me, so you're not going <laughs> to get me. Like, that's not how anything works, and everybody knows that. But, you know, it's like... This is going to affect every portion, every demographic of the population, and it has nothing to do with anything other than, you know, whether or not you take precaution and believe that you should take precaution or mm-hmm. not. Like, I think that's the, it's just maddening to me. I don't understand how he can be so, well, him, I guess. Right. So that's about it. I guess all we can say right now for the coronavirus. <clears throat> I one other thing. Yeah. Um, so Michael Hobbs of the You're Wrong About podcast tweeted something that I thought was interesting as just a thought experiment, which is given that the coronavirus has happened in a 
uh, election year. And given that campaigns are run primarily on large groups, right, town halls and rallies, and also in-person contact, so knocking on doors, um, how might this affect the ability of campaigns to want to do that or to be able to do that? And what that would really look like, um, it would be something we've never seen before. If there was no door knocking and no rallies and no town halls and no contact really between the candidates and their campaigns and the people whose vote they're hoping to get. Um, I think things would have to get way more serious for us to get there. Um, like I was saying, like not even in jest, um, the first candidate to come up with branded face masks to wear and give out, like I think would have a leg up. I could see that. Yeah, but I mean, there's talk of, you know, if it spreads into a really serious pandemic of canceling things like canceling schools and closing daycares. And interestingly, kids are not getting it as a high of rates, which I think is something interesting to think about. Um, but, you know, things kids, like kids aren't also rallies, aren't concerts. traveling to and from China and on cruise ships and, and right. stuff like that. So right. they haven't really been exposed to this point. But one of the things that they've been saying is that, you know, things like rallies and concerts and big crowds of people all being together are things that we should really think about canceling if it gets to that point, because that is just like, you know, ground zero for let's spread it really far. Like five people in a crowd of a thousand have it and God knows. Right. Um, so it's also really, um, as everything does will affect, um, poor people more, Mm -hmm. um, and marginalized people more. Uh, people who can't don't have paid sick leave, people who can't afford to take time off work, people who work for disgusting giant corporations who won't allow them to stay home uh, at risk of losing their job, um, people who have to send their sick kid to school because they have no childcare. Right. Um, you know, these people will be greatly more at risk and, and harmed. And also because we count on these people to run things like our food service industries and our economy, essentially, um, may cause the pandemic to be worse because the people who handle your food don't have paid sick leave Mm -hmm. and their managers don't let them just go home because they don't feel good. Right. Which, how do you feel about that? You know, if you're against unions and you don't (laughs) think that we should have worker protections, be selfish for a second and think about how you would feel knowing that food service workers and people who handle, you know, your produce, um, people who work in grocery stores, like, these people are going to go to work sick. And what does that mean for you if you have to be selfish about it? So I think, you know, and then the other thing is people not going and getting the treatment and care that they need. So we may not even know how many people have it because they don't, we don't have universal health care. So if you don't have medical care, maybe you don't go in and you don't get tested and you don't know you have it. And I mean, the public policy we have around workers' rights and health care in this country is about to be on display. Yeah, it, it really and makes everything worse. It really is going to be powerful that, like, that's this is a reality. It's not just some pipe dream that I want because I hate billionaires, right? I want workers' rights for all of these reasons, and I want free health care for all of these very reasons, that it will affect everyone that we don't have those policies in place. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so that's my pitch for Warren, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we are going to... Um, we're going to be discussing how this is progressing, and who knows? Maybe we'll be coughing and sneezing, and we're going to tell you what it's like to have the coronavirus. Hopefully not. We're we're trying. We're very really, hard really going to try not, not to, to get it. <laughs> but you know, um, that's where we are. Yeah. So flipping to politics. Um, 
South Carolina primary is today. Yep. And it looks like Biden will win this one, I guess, by how much is the big question. And mm-hmm. then will he be back? Poor Joe's really sundowning, though. Yeah. He is just, uh, I mean, he had a really nice town hall the other night. I know that. He said he had some powerful, moving stories about his son. And there's been a lot of stories about like people he's genuinely very kind to who have yeah. their cancer stories. And that, and that's fine. But, but Joe, like old people who show the early signs of dementia, he's got good days and bad days, just like the president. And, you know, some of the bad days have been on display. He, he, the other day he was talking about, I'm running for Senate. And if you mm-hmm. don't like me, vote for the other Biden. And like, yeah. we, no one knew quite what he was talking about. Right. And people were like, well, he's so used to saying I'm running for Senate. And I'm like, mm, he hasn't said that sentence in like <laughs> 30 years, 12 years. Yeah. Right. So no. Um, and, you know, then there was this story that we were talking about earlier about him relaying uh, this tale of going to South Africa to visit Nelson Mandela back in the 70s as a senator from Delaware and how he was telling this story about how he went and on his way he got arrested in Soweto, which is 760 miles from where Mandela was being held. Mm -hmm. And he got arrested as like some sort of freedom fighter against apartheid. And then he went and he visited Mandela and Mandela gave him a huge hug and told him, thank you so much for trying and coming and being with me. And none of that is true. None of it is true at all. The only part Um, is true is that he did go with the delegation in the 70s. Yes. And he did meet Mandela. Ostensibly meet Mandela. Who was in a prison cell who could not hug him, presumably. Um, and his campaign today had to walk it back and say that was not true. That didn't happen. Yeah. He was referring to a situation where he was separated from the black uh, members of the delegation who went because they had to go through a different door and that he resisted going through a different door than them. And they eventually conceded. None of that seems like an arrest to me. Um, and that by and then I was to make the point that by itself was a good enough story. Why can't you just say that? Just tell the story. It's actually more interesting. Right. They wanted to make me walk through a different door, a white door versus a black door. And I was like, fuck that. I'm not doing it. That, no, that's a better story. And then they were like, you have to. And I'm like, I'm not doing it. I'm frankly not going to do it. And yeah. they were like, fine. So I walked through the door with the black people. And now that story is lost. Because right. Because he, he had to have de- this demented and white savior hero fantasy about how he. I, I think it's more he doesn't remember. And he's created this narrative in his head of all this other shit. And, you know, either way, it's unfortunate. Either way, it's yeah. bad. But I, I, I don't. I could be wrong. He could just be lying whole cloth. But I really think he's just losing it. And yeah, I mean, either way, it's not good. No, him he losing it. That's not savior. that. That and also, if if his mental state is sort of degraded to that point, if that's the truth, if he really just doesn't remember and he's just making shit up. But the, you know, that's what? not good. Couldn't you see Biden in his Biden way telling the story accurately and how powerful that would be? Yeah. And like they wanted me to go through a separate door and I said, no, I'm not going through a damn right. separate door. And they wanted to arrest me. And I said, go ahead, do it. And like, then they didn't because I was, it was clear. I wasn't going to walk through that door. I was there to protest yeah, apartheid. That been a great fucking that's story. That's a good story. And it's believable. And it also happened likely. Yeah. yeah. Right. I got arrested in Soweto is and then Mandela very gave me a unprovable. Hug and a passionate kiss. Like, right? what, what is the point of this? It's also very, like, demonstrably provable or not. Does he have an arrest record in South Africa? No. Right. Oh, so that didn't happen. So what did? Well, this much more interesting. Yeah, like, he'd have been arrested. The State Department would have been involved and it would have been a whole thing. Right. Yeah. And the reason they didn't arrest him is all of those reasons. Right. Right? It's enough to just say 
I was so against apartheid in South Africa in the 70s that I went on a delegation to visit Nelson Mandela and then this weird thing happened and that's that story. Yeah. And it says everything you need to say about how you felt about apartheid and like it it does all the things that you needed to do. It's just not this disgusting white savior story that's also a lie or dementia. Neither of those are good options. Anyway, as we were saying, uh, for all the talk that Bernie's going to catch Biden in South Carolina, that's probably not going to happen. Um, yeah. And then we got Super Tuesday coming up in here in two days. Uh, Cannot can t- come too soon. Let's talk about Michael Bloomberg just setting his money on fire. <laughs> Which we know personally about. Yeah. We've been getting like the last three days, these very, like multiple pieces of very glossy, well done Mike Bloomberg propaganda. It's called lit. Mm-hmm. It's very, it's every campaign does lit, right? Yeah. It's the shiny flyer and the or like. packet or right, whatever Or it is. postcard, depending on how much money your campaign has. <laughs> he has three different kinds that I'm for now that I'm aware of. And how Colorado works, and I would assume this is most states, I can only speak for Colorado, is once you vote, and we vote by mail here, um, and your vote has been recorded, mm-hmm. that recorded vote shows in the database so that when campaigns poll... Um, whoever what we call their target universe is, which means whatever stage in the campaign it is, you want to target certain kinds of voters. So really early in the campaign, you want to target undecided voters, voters who don't Mm -hmm. vote very often, to kind of get your candidate in front of them. And as the campaign progresses and it gets closer to the day of the election, you want to vote, you want to, what we call get out the vote, GOTV. So you want to target people who are very likely to vote and very likely to vote Democrat or very, in this case, very likely to vote for your candidate to make sure they fucking vote, right? Right. Once they vote, they go off the rolls entirely. What's the point of contacting someone who has already voted? You right. can't change your vote. What are, why would I contact them? Right. So you and I, Travis, voted the first day of our mail-in ballots, right? Like we got our mail-in ballot. We filled it out. I took it to work. I mailed it. We got confirmation like two days later. Mm-hmm. And two weeks later, we're getting <laughs> pieces of literature in our mailbox, text messages, and I got a phone call from the Mike yeah. Bloomberg campaign. Yeah, which means everybody else who did the same thing is too. So which, that costs money. That costs millions. Million. Like, lit is expensive, especially because you have to do it through a union shop. And you're paying somebody he's, 18 these are not or 20 bucks an hour. Volunteers for Mike Bloomberg, let's be fair. No. We did our campaign based on volunteers who would text things, right? right. And call yeah. people. His campaign is run off zero volunteers and all paid people. So he mm-hmm. is paying people to ask me to vote for him, even though I already voted. Right. How stupid is that? I literally said to his campaign staffer, like, why am I in your target universe? Use Van. What are you doing? Yeah, I said the same thing. I didn't get a response. I didn't either. And they probably don't know what that is, but um, <laughs> they have to, or they wouldn't know that I'm a voter. Like they have to be using the system. They just literally don't have a target universe. It's just every voter in Colorado. Send yeah. them something. Yeah, text them. It's I don't know if that's just laziness or having so much money to burn. Yep. Why bother? Yep. Like yep. But it's just wasting money and resources. Yes. So just a little perspective because they keep talking about like Bloomberg has spent you know 875 million dollars. It's like. Yeah, well, yeah. How, how much of that has been effective? He's like, wasting so much money. Yeah, he hasn't been spending it smartly. That no, matters, too. It does. I think the only thing I can think of, because he has hired some of the best minds in the Democratic Party, is that none of his literature or his messaging is about the primary. All of it is about Trump. And so I think maybe what their strategy is, is like, if we just get the message that he can beat Trump in front of people, whoever they are, 
anybody, everybody in Colorado, then if we happen to win, like we'll <laughs> see if they'll vote for us in the primary, but if we happen to win, maybe that's like a starting point for like, mm. they'll vote for him against Trump. I don't know. That's the only thing I, I can I, think I of. I think you, that's more strategic thinking than they're putting into it. I think they're just, we have the money to flood the airwaves right. and the mail, then just do it. Send right. it everybody on the list. I don't, well, shouldn't we pare down? Nah, just send it to everybody. Literally Fuck every it. voter or every, frankly, non-voters. Like, I don't know. I wonder if Republicans are getting his stuff because they cannot vote in the Democratic primary. Yeah, they can. So probably. I don't know. We should ask some. I mean. Do we know any Republicans in Denver? <laughs> no. But I don't think it's Denver. I think this is statewide. No, well, you can, I think this is statewide. There's people his, at work, you know, you could ask. Uh, well, I know my boss mm-hmm. voted in the primary for Bill Weld. Yeah, but you should ask if he's gotten any Bloomberg propaganda. I uh, he has not. Okay, that's um, interesting. So I think it's just Democratic voters and independents because okay. remember, this is the first presidential primary in which independent voters can vote in either the Democratic or the Republican primary. So, yeah. a couple of my friends who are independent voters voted. So what that means is if you're an independent, you get, you get both. both the Republican and the Democratic ballot. If you vote for both, you get vote for neither. Right. Um, so you have to pick one. Um, and they were all very overjoyed that they got to vote in my primary. I'm not <laughs> so much, but. Um, and we know who they voted that's for. That's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Bloomberg's a piece of shit, Obs. And he's. The thing that pisses me off about it the most is like. The amount of money he has spent just toward trying to elect himself to president mm-hmm. in the state of Colorado. Like, what if he had spent that instead on defeating Cory Gardner and taking back the Senate or in fixing the fucking water in Flint, fixing the water in Flint or instead anything of doing, else instead of putting fake propaganda out that people are calling him an oligarch or whatever the hell right. he was doing. Right, with his fake vandalism, which is hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, but literally, like, he could have put all of this money, or even half of this money, into the battle against Cory Gardner, and that's one more Senate seat. Yeah. And then the state of Colorado is fully blue, which I would love. But I don't think he cares about that. It's just a vanity project for him. I don't think he actually cares about well, why policy. Would he? He's he regularly Republican. donates to Republican candidates, so... Obviously, he doesn't care, but yeah. it's very frustrating. Um, yeah. No, thank you for Bloomberg. So, Super Tuesday is coming, and we'll have a much clearer picture than what's going on. Um, we know Bernie's going to rack up a lot of delegates, mm-hmm. a shitload. Mm-hmm. Whether that's enough to uh, say he's got the nomination in hand is fuzzy. Because we have a proportional system. And I know you sent me that mm-hmm. whole thread and I started to read it because the, the Bernie bros don't understand or, mm-hmm. or pretend to not understand how this works. And now... I think they legitimately don't because they're not Democrats. Yeah, but even if we sat them down and explained it to them bit by bit, you think that would move them at all? No. And so I'm not going to go into it. There's information if you want to read about it, but I want to say a couple of things. I don't necessarily love how our system is run. I don't think it's the best way to do it, uh, but it is the system we have, we have, and we've had it for 48 years. It's how we've been electing the Democratic nominee. Mm-hmm. So it's not like we suddenly changed the rules 
to benefit one person or another person from 2016 or something just because Bernie's mad. That's not true. That's not happening. But if you don't like it, I think I'm going to have to appeal to like get involved, right? So if you don't like the way, for example, delegates are chosen, or if mm-hmm. you, for example, think that superdelegates are a problem, mm-hmm. or you don't like the proportional system and the way that we allocate delegates, or you don't like the idea that you're allowed to change your vote on the second round. There's a lot of things that people don't like, and that's valid. The only way to affect change, then, has nothing to do with voting or anything else. It has to do with being a member of the Democratic Party and then getting into that role. Yeah. So first you have to register as a Democrat, because this is not a federal system. This is a private party, right? We talked about this a lot in 2016. (laughs) Democratic Party is a private institution. This is not a government institution. So there's no government rules around it. It's just we had this little private party, and we're going to try to get this person to run for president, right? Mm -hmm. So this isn't a government thing. This is a private thing. And anybody can join. And then what happens is you get involved and you start by volunteering and getting into your hyper local like precinct, mm-hmm. right? And where mm-hmm. you live and you mm-hmm. talk to people and other Democrats who've been in the party and you get involved in maybe you become like a precinct chair captain and then you start that way. And that's the only way that we're going to affect change is if we all go out and take the Democratic Party over by getting involved in the Democratic Party, and then we can change the rules to whatever we want. We can change, we, the rules are completely changeable without any laws, without anything at all. It's just, we just take the party over and then we change the rules to whatever we want them to be and then we have a different party. That's, that's as simple as it is. It's not more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. But that requires people to get involved and to take a couple of Saturdays during election years and on off election years to like still fundraise for the party and like get involved and that's, Maybe not compelling because it's kind of boring, but if you're that mad about what's about to happen at the convention, this is the way to fix it. Get inside the party and change the rules. Well, let's talk about some of the gaslighting the Bernie people are throwing at us lately, which is annoying, but to be expected. So rewind the clock to 2016, maybe a little bit down the road when it was clear that uh, Bernie was not going to catch... Clinton in terms of the delegate count. Mm-hmm. And he he basically said, well, I'm, I'm the better candidate against Trump, so the superdelegates and whatever should go to me and give me the nomination. Mm-hmm. He, he did say that. Yeah. Uh, he's on he's plenty of interviews, hit not just as surrogates, but him saying it himself to CNN and MSNBC and on interviews and like... He said it. He said, I don't think the person with the most delegates should win. I think it's the person, right, like... Who could best defeat Trump or something like that. Right, and you should change your vote, and and you should come over to my side because I'm the better candidate. That was his argument in 2016 because she had more delegates than he did. And he was not going to be able to catch her because we have a proportional system. Right. Fast forward to 2020, and now what's Bernie saying? No, whoever has the most delegates should win. That's the most democratic way to do it. Any other way is buying the election. Any other way is bullshit. I don't care who's best. I won the most delegates. I win. And you know what? That's, I don't want to say fine, but like that's, okay, fine. You're a politician. 
you know, you're being a hypocrite in terms of what you said four years ago. Okay, but now do you and your supporters have to gaslight us and tell us, like, you didn't say the exact opposite in 2016? What's right. the point of that? Right. Like, and then we had, like, Elizabeth Warren had this Bernie bro attacker in the CNN town hall a couple days ago, and she had to correct him. And, like, he would he refused to hear it. And it's like, the receipts are out there. This is, like, Trump-like shit. Yes. This is what frustrates us, Bernie bros. And we're not talking about your average Bernie supporter, although a lot of them go along with the shit when they don't know better. Yes. Like... You love Bernie. You're going to support Bernie, even if you're Bernie or bust, whatever. That's fine, I guess. But don't gaslight us. Right. Like, why do you need to gaslight us? Right. How about just say, you know what? He was wrong in 2016. Or he I was don't... right in 2016 and he's right now. Right. Just I mean, be like, I don't look, care. The, I want Bernie. The, the point is, I want Bernie. I don't give a shit how we get him. I don't care if we have to change the rules. Bernie is the best person to beat Trump. Fine. We proved that in Fine. 2016. So I don't give a shit. Just make him the candidate. I will respect the shit out of you for saying that. Yes. I don't agree with you. But, but like, that's what you okay, believe. That's, that's what you believe. fucking fair. But don't tell me the sky's fucking red and black is white, dude. Don't. That's not what happened. I was there. You were there. You may not understand the rules, but if you don't understand the rules, fucking educate yourself. And don't tell me that's not what happened because that is what we happened. were there i was there and it's and it's everywhere it's all online and it's... i disagreed with him in 2020 or 2016 and i tend to agree with him in 2020 with the exception of like that rule about like or not a rule but the um thought experiment about what happens if bernie goes in with 20% of the delegates. And nobody else gets out of and, the race. And like. Right. And everybody like. Bloomberg let's say is still in. And Warren is still in. And Biden is still in. And Klobuchar is still in. And or let's just say it's like four. Yeah. Or five. Right? right. And everybody's got around 20 to 25%. No. That wouldn't be. T- he's got. It would be 10 to 15%. Okay. But like. So. But. So. You know. He's got 25%. And everybody else is splitting the difference. And it's right. four or five people. That's not enough. I don't think for him to get the nomination. Just because he has a few more delegates than someone else. Him having four or five or ten more delegates than everyone else doesn't mean that he should get the nomination. But that, but that never happens. It never happens. It's, it's but fi- that's it's, the reason that it's the pundit. I know, but fiction. listen to me. The reason that the rules exist the way that they exist is to prevent that. Right. It's unlikely that's going to happen. And the reason that we keep talking about it is because the pundits are obsessed with it because wouldn't it be fun? But <laughs> yeah. it doesn't happen. Yeah. But the rules exist to prevent that from and, happening. And That's the only reason. It doesn't happen because outside of Bloomberg, there's a finite amount of money. And like once it's clear you're not going to win the nomination, people stop donating to you. Right. And you stop running. And you stop running. After Super Tuesday, I don't imagine there will be more than two or three. Yeah. Period. Yeah, that's it. So at that point, it'll be pretty clear going into the convention who will win. And nobody is talking about taking the nomination away from Bernie if he's got 48 to 51 percent of no, the but delegates. That, that's how he no fires. one is talking about I kind of get it right now because that's how he fires up his people and gets mm-hmm. them to, you know, do benefit shows like our friends do doing in the punk scene down here and make sure make sure they don't take it for granted. He's going to win Colorado and make sure they vote and then make sure they get their friends to vote. You know, that's how he whips them up. That's fine. But then. Are you going to take that all the way into the convention and be super divisive again? Right. Like, the, dimension, the convention that will probably nominate him, but you're going to go all the way up to your speech accepting the nomination, shitting all over the party that's about to nominate you? Like That's that not way. a good look, man. It seems that way. Don't do that. Don't do it. This is the <laughs> thing we've been arguing about, though, right? This is yeah. the, not arguing about, but saying, like, 
they don't know how to be winners. Right. They don't know how to go in and graciously accept a win from this party they fucking hate so much. <laughs> I know. So that's, that's it's going to be part. a really bad look if they keep this up and it's very clear he's going to win and they keep insisting that the party is going to take it from him and then the party doesn't take it from him, then what? You're going to walk yeah. up there and be like, well, we made sure they didn't, these motherfuckers. <laughs> Thank you, by the way, motherfuckers. You just nominated. Like, what the fuck is that, right? <laughs> it would be like, I mean, this is even more plausible, but if it was like, I don't know, a, a quarterback who kept getting like suspended by, or like Kaepernick came back and he like, like him, it would be, I would understand. He like won the Super Bowl and they hand him the trophy and he was like, well, fuck you anyway. I don't want this. Right. Which I don't think he would do, but... No, it, no, that's a terrible example. It's, it's a like, terrible example, and he won't never get back in the league anyway. But. It's like somebody is having a dinner party. So I always go back to this with the primaries, right? Yeah. And you want an invitation to the dinner party. And you're not mm. sure that you're going to get one. And so you just shit talk the host of the dinner party <laughs> for months, just like to everybody they know and publicly and just like post it on Facebook about what assholes how, they are. It, it's a conspiracy against you. The biggest pieces you. of shit. It's a conspiracy against me. I don't know what they have wrong with me. They fucking hate me. Yeah. And then you get an invitation and you have to go. And you have to look at them and go, thank you for inviting me to your dinner party. Oops. <laughs> I appreciate it. And you aren't that bad or you still are, but I'm going to like, rage eat your food like I don't know what then I think Bernie and his closest supporters are still under this delusion that they don't need all the pink pussy hat yep. people yep like there's these scores and scores and scores of young people who never vote who are just going to come out by the millions and so far like the primaries aren't true. really bearing that out no like I just saw the, no. the the returns from South Carolina and granted the South Carolina but like you still got 10%, the only 10% of young people are the ones coming out to vote. Right. And there's enough of them that if they were coming out in droves, that number would be much, much higher. Yeah. Right now we're looking at it, right? 10%, 17 to 29, and only 18% 30 to And the rest are all people who always show up to vote. And everybody else is like, yeah, 50, 60, 70% And of Greg talks about this all the time with Kegro. Like, his whole argument is... You got to bring me because I'll bring out all these young and otherwise non-voter types. Mm -hmm. But so far, it's not bearing out. And he like he may be right. And they're just waiting to the for the general. Like it could be. But, but then don't bitch about who the candidate is. Right. Like <laughs> if looking at this in South Carolina, yeah. only 28 percent of people under the age of 45 have come out to vote. 28 percent. That's less than a third. Well, that's of us. that's 28 percent of who's come out to vote. Let's be clear. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Well, I don't know then. But no, still. But my, no, my point is there are enough voting eligible people that that number would be higher yeah. if they were coming out in droves for Bernie like he says they are. But they're not. But they're not. And we tried to make it about the caucus. Well, nobody goes to the caucus, which is true. It's a horrible system. But this well, is a straight primary. No, no. Like, some, some more young people, I think, are coming out for the primaries, but not enough that you can alienate everybody else. It's a numbers right, game. Right, And Bernie's right. not playing it well because I think like the Trump people, him and his people are in this bubble. They've convinced themselves that there's all this hidden vote out there that yeah. can only be taken with Bernie. And if we shit on everybody else to get it, that's fine. Because our people will and turn out in the end. It's not like those pink pussy people will stay home. 95% of them will, will grit their teeth and vote for Bernie. But like that that 5% that doesn't could be make a huge difference. Yeah. Because like... 
You know, it's we're getting to that point where we're looking at the elect because we still have the fucking electoral college. We're looking at that map, and it's not going to be easy. No, like Wisconsin is still in the balance. Pennsylvania is still in the balance. Ohio. Florida, if it's Bernie, we're fucked. Ohio, like, Ohio is red now. Fuck Ohio. Mm-hmm. Like, and and yeah, oh, Arizona and Georgia might be in play, but probably not. So we're really looking at the same battle we fought in 2016, and yep. like, eh, there's not much margin for for error here. Right. I don't feel good about it. I'm not optimistic. No, I was after 2018 and, you know, because of the sort of blue wave then, but like... Yeah, but we didn't eat ourselves alive in 2018. No. We decided that we were going to have a referendum as a party against the president and then we all stood behind our candidates and we all voted. Yeah. And we're not, this is a democratic presidential primary, so we're just going to eat each other alive and everybody's going to hate everybody else. And then we'll make, maybe some of us won't vote. Like, we're just going to repeat 2016 now. That's all we're doing. I can't even be on Twitter for more than like 10 minutes at this point because mm-hmm. it's just people I love attacking people I love. And like, I just, I'm, I'm, I can't. And it's now, of course, there's, there's unforeseen things, right? That we can't, like the coronavirus, the economy, the gas prices, all kinds of shit could happen that could really fuck Trump in ways we can't predict. But mm-hmm. like, where it is right now, if the election was tomorrow, it's a fucking coin flip. Yep. And I don't sleep well knowing nope. it's a coin flip. And it doesn't have to be that way because there's plenty of us that don't want Trump anymore, but we can't get our shit together as usual because like Will Rogers said, I don't belong to any organized political party. I'm a Democrat. Okay. <laughs> all I, right. We are going to take a quick break. We're yes. going to come back and bitch about all kinds of things. Stay okay. Tuned. testimony uh, because our pets have perfect timing just as soon as we decided to start back our dog <laughs> decided to start crunching crunching her food in the background eating her crunchies so if you hear that that's what that is yep we're um, not like eating it's her yeah. Lily is eating so yes uh, if uh, we have a brand new segment to introduce, it's called Rachel tweeting during the break. Is that right? Tweeting with Rachel during the tweeting break. with Rachel during the break. This is a whole new thing. Rachel just came up with it. I have no idea what it's about, so I'm <laughs> just going to let her take it away. Well, nothing pissed me off that I wasn't already pissed off about during the break. Okay. Uh, but I have three tweets that I would like to talk about that uh, don't actually require much talking unless you have something to add. The first comes. I have something to add. Yeah. Are you just talking to the audience in general? Well, I don't know that I can listen to them if they have something to add. But you can email me or tweet me if you have something to add. Um, Sarah Marshall of You're Wrong About Mm -hmm. uh, says this Sometimes I spend a whole hour puttering along, immersed in my normal anxieties. And then I remember I'm also feeling anxious about coronavirus Mm. and focus on that for a while. And then I get distracted by my day to day anxieties again. It's weird. 
And I said, I'm good until I touch my face. So basically, I'm good for no more than one to four minutes. My regular anxieties are starting to get grumpy from neglect. And that's true, because I touch my face constantly. You and, and Sarah Marshall are um, honorary Jews <laughs> with your endless anxieties. I mean, it's that could be true. Yeah, that could be true. We also ate a, a really great Jewish deli today, and I yeah, we don't have many things. Jewish delis here in Denver. We have a couple, and uh, I was definitely feeling in my element and in my culture, and had all kinds of wonderful things. Yeah, and we have some rugula we took home that I am trying really hard not to just devour. <laughs> we also had some at the restaurant. So. Yeah, if you ever want to kill me, lock me in a room with fifty pounds of arug- <laughs> of rugula, not arugula. No, that would uh, be fine for you. That would be fine. Yeah, I'm just. <laughs> Yeah, we find about 50 pounds of chocolate or raspberry arugula. I'll be dead within minutes. Right. Yeah. All right. This one comes from uh, Steve Kenson as a reply to Marco Rubio. Marco Rubio tweeted, Once upon a time, when politics and media was inhabited by normal people, a viral outbreak was treated as a public health matter. But now, even an infectious disease caused by a virus, a sub-microscopic infectious agent, is a domestic partisan political issue to exploit. Crazy. God, he's the worst. Steve Kenson has this to say. As a gay man who came of age during the AIDS era of the 1980s, I'm intensely curious for you, a Republican senator, to tell me more about how virus outbreaks were once handled apolitically. (laughs) Yeah. Go fuck yourself. Mm. Okay? God, he's just the worst. This one is just a nice, fun PSA. Uh, PSA for non-science folks. Wonder why everyone is emphasizing hand washing. Sounds banal, but soap really is an amazing weapon that we all have in our homes. Mm -hmm. This is because coronavirus is an enveloped virus, which means that it has an outer lipid membrane layer. Basically, it's surrounded by a fat layer. Washing your hands with soap and water has the ability to dissolve this greasy, fatty layer and kill the virus. I'm told singing happy birthday twice is approximately how long we should all be scrubbing our hands with soap. Plus, just imagine how much we will all laugh by singing happy birthday in the loo while we kill this bug. So that's, I didn't know that. I thought that was interesting. Mm. And that's tweeting with Rachel during the break. Okay. I don't know about singing happy birthday, but yes, you should wash your hands for at least 20 seconds. I don't typically do that. Somebody said zippity doodah. Zippity doodah. If you sing that whole thing, Uh, you're probably okay. Oh, the song? Yeah, great. Uh, (laughs) Is it? Fuck, really? It's from Song of the South. Oh, everything's racist because we're all racist. (laughs) Okay. Of course it is. Why wouldn't it be? Uh, Of course it is. It's like I was watching um, a very innocuous uh, gymnastics competition one time with an ex of mine, and... It was the um, University of Las Vegas, and mm-hmm. their uh, mascot is the Rebels. And I was like, As didn't think anything of it. University and of Mississippi. Yeah. She goes, oh, the Rebels. And I was like, yeah, like they're rebellious. And I went, oh, no, wait, is it that? And she was like, just looked at me. And I was like, oh, the Rebels. Yeah. And then they show the mascot, and it's like this fucking Yosemite Elmer Fudd. Yeah, with yeah. the fucking Confederate flag. And, and why in Nevada? I was like, Jesus, I know. I don't know. They didn't even, that's not a thing. But anyway, sometimes I, even me, I gloss over. I don't get it right away. So, um. All right, more somber note. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you know where I'm going, yeah? I don't know. You could be going lots of places. Well, I'm going to Orlando. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, my friend posted that on Facebook. So uh, this one 
Uh, so this is a tough one. So strap in. Um, this one made me physically feel ill. Um, this article comes from the Orlando Sentinel, and I'm just going to read it. It's by Grace Tui, and then we're going to talk about it. Kaya Roll was sitting listening to a school employee read her a story when two officers came in the room to arrest her. What are those for? The six-year-old girl asked the Orlando police officers. They're for you, Officer Dennis Turner said about the zip ties before another officer tightened them around her wrists. Kaya immediately began weeping. No, no, don't put handcuffs on, she wailed in body camera footage from the arrest, which Kaya's family shared with the Orlando Sentinel Monday evening. The arrests of the girl and another six-year-old at Lucius and Emma Nixon Academy in September drew national headlines and widespread condemnation, leading to the officers firing. At least we have that. Help me, help me, please, the girl choked out through tears. The officers continued with the arrest. Employees at the Orlando, Orlando, Orlando Charter School stood by. After Kaya was placed into a police SUV to be taken to the Juvenile Assessment Center, Officer Turner returned to the school's office and spoke to administrators, who were concerned about Kaya. He downplayed the juvenile detention center, saying, it's not like you think. He told them he had arrested 6,000 people in his career. The mm -hmm. youngest to that point was seven. When school employees told him Kaya was six, not eight like he thought, he did not seem concerned. Now she's broken the record, he said. Kaya, a first grader at charter school, had a tantrum earlier in the day where she had kicked and punched three school employees, leading to her arrest on a charge of misdemeanor battery. Can I chime in real quick? Yeah. Uh, if you work at a school of any kind and you can't handle a six-year-old having a tantrum without police being involved, you're in the wrong field. Find a new profession today. I have been in lots of classrooms. My parents were teachers for over a collective 60 years. If you can't handle a six-year-old having a tantrum without getting police involved, you are in the wrong profession. And also don't story. have kids. <laughs> yeah. Don't, yeah. What I mean, do you, I you babysat for my life. I babysat for my entire like adolescence. The number of times I've been kicked, hit, Bitten, punched, spit on by fucking children because they are children having a fit. I can't count the number of times and I can't imagine being like, I'm going to call the police on you and then actually doing it and then allowing that child to be taken into police custody. Mm -hmm. It's fucking crazy. Well, not to mention. It's a perfect storm, right? Because nine out of ten police dispatchers are going to just hang up on you. But well, I guess when it's And a nine school, out of ten police officers aren't going to arrest a six-year-old child. But there's always that one. Well, and he's very happy because she broke the record. Mm-hmm. The school staff member who had been reading to her told Kaya that she had to go with the officers and that her grandmother would pick her up later. While walking with the officer to the car, Kaya continued to cry, I don't want to go in a police car. The second officer replied, you don't want to, you have to. There's a video of this and I've watched it. It's much more heartbreaking than me reading this to you, so fucking watch it. But mm -hmm. then she said, and this makes me want to cry, please give me a ch second chance. The girl responded, still crying. Now, I don't think I have to explain at this point that this is a young black girl that we're talking about. Of course. This is not a white girl. Oh, they're not. They, I don't think they're going to call the cops on a white kid having a tantrum anywhere ever. Please give me a second chance. 
It's not something that we extend to black people no. in this country. No. Of any age. No. Not even six years old. No. The officers put her in the back seat of the police SUV. My question is, was there a car seat? At six years old, you're supposed to be in a car seat. Of course there's not a car seat in the fucking car. Right, because why would there be a car seat in a police car? Why? (laughs) Yeah. So they're breaking the law by transporting her with that one, by the way. Turner then returned to the school's office reminding one employee that he would need a statement from her and said she would likely get a subpoena. The woman agreed, though she said she was upset. The arrest report Turner completed said that a member of the school's faculty, Beverly Stout, had requested to press charges against Kaya, something the school has denied. The video does not show any staff member attempting to stop the arrest, though several are obviously rattled. The restraints, are they necessary, one school employee said. Yes, Turner said. Then he added, if she was bigger, she would have been wearing regular handcuffs. He then told the school administrators the youngest person he ever arrested previously was seven years old, a boy who he had caught stealing in an Albertsons. God. He said he arrested the boy because he thought it was a joke, while the other children caught in the act had started crying. He literally says, the only reason I arrested him is because he treated it as a joke. He's seven years old. Officials have said that Turner also arrested a six-year-old boy at Nixon Academy the same day as Kaya for misdemeanor battery in an unrelated incident. So he arrested two six-year-olds for battery. Was it? I I would have loved if like the kid was like, um, not really loved, but you know, sardonically, the kid like you know been struggling if they like resisting arrest, you know, mm-hmm. assault on a police officer, right. and yeah, failure to comply. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Throw the whole book at them. They usually do when you go. They go to arrest somebody, and they say, "What am I being arrested for?" Right. right. However, the boy's arrest was halted by superiors before the child made it through the full arrest process. That was the same day. Yes, the same day. Later that day, they were like, ah, fine, I guess take this one. Yep. The following day, prosecutors dropped the charge against Kaya. (laughs) Imagine that. that. We know some prosecutors that wouldn't, but... Orlando Police Department officials have said Turner violated agency policy on arresting children younger than 12, which requires officers to get a supervisor's approval, something Turner did not do. Mm-hmm. However, his decision was not illegal, as Florida currently does not have a minimum age for arrest. Do they have a minimum age for marriage? Or are they one of those states where you can, like, marry, you know, a, marry a six-month-old? Old? Yeah. Who knows? Probably. It's the South. I mean, I've had, like, a six-month-old kick me before. Maybe I should have called Call the, the cops. cops, yeah. Yeah. Tell them to shit. use their batons. I mean, it's seriously just horrifying. Anyway, her grandmother pulled her out of that school and put her into a private school because she refuses to allow her grandchild to ever attend a school with Good. an officer on campus. Yeah. And is working toward <coughs> changing Florida's laws um, to make the minimum rage arrest 12. I would argue it should be higher than that, or maybe we just should abolish cops. Um, right, but her know, grandmother said, quote, you're discussing traumatizing a six and seven year old and that's a boasting right for you. These are babies. Yeah. So. If that kid is having a tantrum at the school that can't be controlled anyway, that's the wrong school for the kid anyway. So I'm glad that. Uh, oh, hey, Biden won the South Carolina primary. They're telling us in real time. That they instantly called it means he won by a ton. Yeah. So we'll see what that means tomorrow. I don't know if it'll mean anything, but certainly Comeback Joe is going to be the narrative going forward. And and like I, I all tweet, right, I'm not done talking about this a little bit. I, oh, I know, I know. I'm just going to object because we saw it on the screen. Yeah. Like, um, well, okay, we'll get back to that. Let's get back to the story. So, <clears throat> I mean, Orlando 
Tell me about the demographics of Orlando. Well, they're changing, um, right? Orlando, when I was growing up, was mostly white, uh, starting to be more Hispanic and more black and brown. There's always been a, a large number of people of color there, but it was really much more white than South Florida. And now, you know, however many years later, it's much more diverse. Yeah. Uh, it's still more white than South Florida. Yeah. But um, it is super mixed, like like a lot of Florida. Um, so she's at a charter school, which, you know, mm-hmm. is uh, probably awesome for her. I don't know what the public schools um, look like. I've worked in charter schools. They're very hit or miss. I, that's true. There are some wonderful true. charter schools that I've worked at. There are some awful charter schools that are worse than the the public schools that a lot of these kids came from. So I have no idea. Just saying it's a charter school is meaningless. Yeah. Especially in some place like that. There are yeah. places where that is true mm-hmm. because of different demographics. But yeah. interestingly or not interestingly at all, I guess sort of like as a caveat, um, because of course... The police officer that arrested her has a history of domestic violence and stalking of his ex-wife, a history of abuse of his own seven-year-old child, and a history of reckless driving and possible DUI. Yeah. Isn't it funny when we, we like, 99 times out of 100 when there's a bad cop doing bad cop things, and we, uh, you know, we find out... Um, like what's in their past. <laughs> like, it's like, Oh sure. Check all the boxes. Why don't you? No, I mean, it's really stunning. You and I often talk on this podcast about the number of law enforcement officials who are affiliated in some way with right supremacist organizations. Oh yeah. The number of cops on the other hand, who have a history of domestic violence touts that by a million, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's almost like a prerequisite for being a cop is you got to like beat your lady, right? You yeah. got to have some history of domestic violence against women. Um, and, and, you know, if you also have a history of like racism in your personal life, it's just a bonus. Mm-hmm. So it's not at all surprising. Um, I hope that this little girl, Kaya, I hope her family sues. Um, I'm glad the officer was fired. I I just... It really is is a thing to think about. Like, this just wouldn't happen to a white kid. No. No matter how out of control they were. Mm-hmm. No matter how crazy they were behaving, right? You just wouldn't call the cops and arrest a six-year-old white person. Uh, it just think, wouldn't happen. I think it has happened to some white kids, because I remember vaguely, but for the most part, no, that is not a thing that happens. And from what I know, like there's, I've read some stories about families talking, like opening up about having bipolar kids mm-hmm. and how they can be incredibly violent and oh, how sure. they've sometimes had to involve. Um, Not just bipolar. You can have oppositional defiant yeah. disorder. You can have yeah. ADHD. There's lots of things that cause kids to act out. Right. Tons of things. And to be like, but like really incredibly violent in a way that's not just like throwing a tantrum and like yeah. throwing your legs around. Um, but I don't remember any stories of those kids being arrested they said that she had to stand on a stepping stool to get her mug shot. Yeah. Like, what does that sentence even mean? <laughs> I had to stand on a step stool to take the mug shot of a six-year-old. That's insane. Mm-hmm. That's not, that just doesn't, doesn't 
I, I don't know how to wrap my brain around it. And like literally it made me sick to watch the video and to listen to this poor baby mm-hmm. cry and plead. And and you, I just don't know how you were a human being that's just like, this is right. Yeah. This is the right thing to be doing. Arresting a six-year-old. The fact that he has children is horrifying. Mm-hmm. So that is... That that happened. That happened. And um, I will shout out my friend uh, Shannon who posted this to her Facebook wall. That's how I found it and sent it to Rachel. I've seen stories like this before. We've talked about him before. Yep. And, you know... Cops are always looking for somebody to bust. What's a six-year-old having a bad day? Sure, Why not? we'll traumatize him, book him, and we'll show them. Throw him in. Yeah, we'll show them, big man. I'll show you who's in charge. Mm-hmm. So, just gives you an I idea. I just can't imagine the trauma that that poor child is going to have. Yeah, for the rest of her life. Like it's just especially horrifying. because what do we teach those kids? <coughs> We're here to protect you from the bad guys. The bad guys want to hurt you, and all of a sudden, oh, I'm one of the bad guys, and the cops are going to do all these things to me. And I mean, I'm I think black families teach their kids really different things about police. Sure, but usually not before, you know, after six years old. I mean, six isn't usually the time you start warning kids against police. It's well, usually any, when you get older. But you know what? Cops are not any big burly stranger who is restraining you and dragging you out of your classroom is going to be traumatizing. Yes. The fact that it has the state's full force of authority is just a tragedy of the breakdown of, of our, of our society, in my opinion. Yep. It's gross. And it's a fairly recent uh, phenomenon. I'd say in the last 20 years of uh, getting police involved with unruly kids at school. And everybody, you know, you know, that's interesting that you would say that. I think that's true to the extent that there weren't police like school resource officers involved. But corporal punishment um, in schools has always been, although it's not used really anymore, uh, always was used primarily more toward right kids of color. And certainly there are studies that show that. detention, suspension, and expulsion, mm-hmm. um, even among elementary school kids, um, much more largely affect uh, kids of color, particularly black kids. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of programs around that are trying to figure out how to fix that yeah. um, in some good places. But yeah, I mean, maybe it wasn't law enforcement, but um, I mean, but then you got like Emmett Till wasn't in school, but like, you know. We've always weaponized the state against young black bodies. So, yep. What do you got? All right. I guess since since we're watching this in real time, uh, as soon as the polls closed, they announced that Biden was the winner in South Carolina. Um, He, with terms of the delegate race, it doesn't make a huge difference. He won twenty of twenty four. Twenty of fifty four. Twenty of fifty four, which doesn't even like have him surpass Bernie. And Bernie will get a couple out of the state. It He's number two. Warren's number like, three. Um, did did they say Warren was number three? Yes, they the did. State? They I'm, just did. I missed that. I just and saw then the Buddha Judge was number four. Well, that's good for Warren. Uh, I don't know that they'll that, probably not talk about it. They'll yeah, be like, they certainly Bernie won't. and Pete <laughs> did really well yeah, against yeah. Biden, even yeah. though Elizabeth Warren came in third. They Greg? certainly, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they certainly won't talk. I'm about just it. predicting it. I'm not trying to be mean to Greg. Uh, in any event. Um, so when they were digging 
Biden's political grave a few weeks ago, I had written on Twitter, like, this all feels like a setup because they they know he's probably going to do well in South Carolina. Yeah. And then they have their comeback Joe stories ready to go. Yes. Because it's dumb clickbait. Everyone garbage. knew he was going to win in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. So we're just setting ourselves up for... The comeback Joe stories. Yeah. And then he's going to do garbage in every other state, and that's that. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of... Votes in the big places already banked, but if people say, oh, maybe Biden can win, then maybe they'll come back to Biden as the thinking. We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how it's going to play out. We know Bernie's winning right now. Um, And to a larger point, there was a lot of stuff I wanted to get into. I don't know if we're going to do today about all the hand wringing, especially by like the never Trump types and the old school uh, political heads of the the Democrats that are leaking to reporters like we're really worried about Sanders winning and I wish I, I don't, I'm not going to read the whole article because Kegro already did it but there was an article that came out sometime during the 2008 primary about how everyone was freaking out that Obama can't win a general election mm-hmm. and if Obama's the candidate then it's mm-hmm. going to be a Republican landslide mm-hmm. and that maybe they can do something at the convention and, yep. and, and basically <laughs> if, you cha- if you change the names around it's every it's article exact- that's come out this week with Bernie. Like, we don't know. Can I say something about that? Yeah. This has been, I've been chewing on this for a couple of weeks now and I'm, I think I've just finally, when you said that, come to the thing that I think is bothering me so much. I think part of that narrative from 2008 and 2000, 2008 in particular, um, is that so many of the pundits are the same fucking people. <laughs> yeah. Do you know? Like, yeah. I'm looking at media right now. I'm watching MSNBC. And I'm seeing the very same people who mm-hmm. were saying the very same thing. And that is not just MSNBC. That is Fox News. That is mm-hmm. the New York Times. CNN. Jennifer Rubin was around. Like, these are the same fucking people saying the same fucking thing because they have the same opinion because they are the same people. Yeah. At some point, we're going to have to evaluate if we would like to have pundits from 30 years ago and 20 years ago, or if we'd like to have somebody else come in and say something different. <laughs> right. And people become experts because people say, you have an opinion, come talk. If enough people tell you to come have an opinion and come talk, then you become some kind of expert. Mm-hmm. And then you remain that. And your opinion probably doesn't change because you keep getting brought on to say the same things over and over. The, the point is, though, nobody knows shit. Like, whatever Hold people on. say they know, they don't. I'm not done. Okay. There needs to be a reckoning in the media. I would have thought we'd have done it after 2016. Right? That would have been the time. To be like, all y'all are not right, and <laughs> the things that you think are wrong, and you have been saying bad things. And then, especially in the last three years... Of all of the like normalization and like craziness around the president and like this administration and both sidesism and all of that. Like at some point, are we going to be like maybe the same 26 people shouldn't just be in charge of the media and talking? Maybe we need different people to talk. And so I think you and I both have looked toward like alternative media things that aren't just MSNBC and mm-hmm. NPR. Like mm-hmm. we just get so frustrated by the mainstream media that we just look to alternative different voices. Mm-hmm. But there has to be a reckoning at some point where like there has to be a shakeup. Like I'm done with Chris Matthews completely. <laughs> yeah. He literally cornered Elizabeth Warren after the debate 
to be like, why would you think Mike Bloomberg is lying? Why would he lie? Why would he lie? And you're just like, because men fucking lie about this shit. What are you saying? Yeah. Where? What era are you in? And why are you asking the woman? Like, he is done for me. I cannot stand him. I haven't been able to stand him for years. No, then there was the, him calling the Bernie supporters Nazis, you know, even though we are frustrated with them, like, to, to use that language about a Jewish candidate is really just fucking bizarre and stupid. Why he, why is he, why is he on the air? Yeah. Why is this Because he here? always has been. You answered the question right. with the point of where you started. Right. What does he have to say yeah. that we need to hear? Has he been right about anything in the last 20 years? Sometimes he is, but, you know, a lot of times he isn't. But the greater point here with everything we're saying is nobody knows jack shit. Who's the best candidate? I don't know. Biden? I don't know. He's fucking old and senile. And, you know, the young Bernie people might not come out for him. Warren? I don't know. She's a woman. And, you know, people don't like her stuff about the banks. And they're going to fight against her. Bernie? He's a socialist. He said nice things about Cuba. Of course, everybody going crazy about that and just completely forgetting or ignoring that Trump has a literal bromance with Kim (laughs) Jong-un. It's like... But Bernie said something nice about Castro 20 years ago. Like, it's ridiculous. But I don't know. I have no idea who the best candidate is. No clue. See, but that's my point. I'm going to circle back because I wasn't done. Mm -hmm. You don't know. Nope. And I don't know. Nope. But you don't know and I don't know any more than they know. Exactly. The only reason that we think they know is because somebody put them on TV. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying... All they did was go on TV and have an opinion. Right. And that opinion becomes part of the public narrative around who can win and who's going to win. And so instead of having fucking Chris Matthews, what about having, you know, me or literally anyone, (laughs) you, somebody that's not 70, come on and give a different opinion. I could be be a fucking pundit. I can go on and give you all the reasons why Elizabeth Warren can win. And why Bernie Sanders can win, and I can give you this opinion, and if enough people put me on the air, enough people put enough people like me on the air, it could change the public perception of who can win and who's electable and who's not. Mm -hmm. The media narrative matters in elections. And when all we have is the same fucking people from 20, 30 years ago saying the same things, then we're going to create the same outcomes, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But maybe they don't matter that much. Maybe they just confuse us. Or I think know. it matters. I think it matters what the media says. I think when you have enough people come on and say the same thing over and over, the public looks at that and goes, okay, that must be true. Bernie can't win. You know, Warren obviously can't win. Like, it matters what people tell you because they're supposed to be experts. But they're mm-hmm. not experts. They're just pundits. And all that is is a person with an opinion. Right. With a little bit of experience in Washington. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of people that are of our generation who have those opinions, who are of Washington and maybe like more current opinions because they currently work in Washington who might have a different opinion. And if we had enough of them talking, maybe we wouldn't erase Elizabeth Warren and maybe we wouldn't, you know, give comeback Joe stories for one primary win. There's a different narrative out there. We're just not telling it. Yeah. There's lots of different narratives and like... Maybe more people of color. Eugene Robinson is on their panel right now, which is nice, but he's, you know, he one guy. He's been on their panel forever, is yeah, my point. But he's a good writer and a smart guy. But He is, but he's also of a different generation, and I think true. he's wrong a lot. Yeah, he is. And I like that they have a black guy on MSNBC, but, like, him and then a couple of other black people mm-hmm. who are not 70. Yeah. 
that come from a different generation and represent a different school of thought. Hey, we're on the map. They're showing the Super Tuesday map. Okay. Anyway. Just interjecting what's happening in real time. Okay. Please finish your thought. That's my thought. Okay. A couple of just different people. I'm not shitting on Eugene Robinson or anybody else. I'm just saying there are people that are younger and people with different opinions than 30 years ago, and I think it matters. And I think we should let them tell a different narrative. And the the answer to that would be like, well, go listen to Chapo Trap House and go listen to the Young Turks. And and I do. I sometimes. don't listen to those things, but like other things like that because I want that narrative, but that's not the point. The point is that should be part of this conversation because this is the conversation that drives what people hear. Mm-hmm. People who are not who are Josh are not going to go seek out something like that. They're going to watch CNN and they're going to go, oh, this must be the case. I can't sure. vote for who I like. I have to vote for this guy because I want to be Trump. Sure. No, that's fair. I, I, I think I think that's fair. Uh, you know what? A lot of people don't even bother ever watching CNN or MSNBC or Fox News. Though. Right. And they just, I don't know what they, they do. They do, though. They, they may not watch it religiously, but it. they absorb yeah. it. Yeah. And what we are allowing them to absorb, what we are making them absorb, is this very specific thing. This is what I was trying to say to Greg, too, like... The media and who is represented matters. Mm -hmm. And it affects elections. Yeah. So it is something to think about who we are listening to and who we are not listening to. Well, I wish more people would listen to us. Even though what we're saying is not what people want to hear. We don't know what's going to happen. We're telling you to vote for who you like. <laughs> vote for who you think would make the best president. If you got me on MSNBC and asked me the same question those people asked, I would give them entirely different answers. Mm-hmm. And how does that change how people feel? Um, you know, like let, let's take Mayor Pete for example. Yeah, that's a great example. There's this really weird narrative inside mainstream media that Mayor Pete is this up and coming progressive gay guy mm-hmm. that like. He's smart, he's young, he speaks all these languages, he's going to appeal to young people, he's going to appear to queer people, he, everybody's going to love him, he's pretty electable guy. He's right. not Joe Biden because he's not, you know, he's not Bernie, but, you know, he's not Joe Biden because he's young and he's new and he has this message. And he's from small town Indiana. He's from the Midwest, but mm-hmm. he's also gay, so that must mean he's progressive. Right, he checks a lot of, a lot of boxes. Yeah, and right. then you ask somebody like me, a queer person, who's a progressive, mm-hmm. um, and I'm like, oh, God, no, Rock, <laughs> Jesus, no, not him at all. I don't give a shit that he's gay. He's not my person. He's not my kind of queer. He right. is terrible. Um, he's the guy. What was it? He's the guy who <laughs> calls the cops for a noise violation at Stonewall. Like, that's Mayor Pete. Yeah. You know, Um I don't know any queer people who care that he's gay and or that's a reason to vote for him. Mm-hmm. Um and that shocks people. They're like, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I just assumed all the queer people would vote for him because he's gay. And it's like, all right, that's right. Because that's what these fucking old people who don't know any queer people say. That's what they think. That's what they tell you. And then that's what you believe. Because we didn't actually talk to any queer people about how they feel about Pete Buttigieg. Mm-hmm. Right? Not many. So Josh believes that, of course, I'm going to vote for Mayor Pete because he's gay and I'm queer. Did he actually say that? No, but a guy from my work did, Uh. right? He was shocked. Guy's from the Midwest. He's from Iowa. 
And I told him, like, as a queer person, I don't give a shit that he's gay. I can't stand him. And he was like, what? Let's talk about what Pete said at the uh, town. I think it was the town hall of the debate. Because that was this week. And it was it was shocking. Shocking. Which one? There's two. Well, I was talking about the one where he apparently volunteered this idea that if there was a pill to make him Uh not gay, he would take it. Then realizing his partner was there in the audience. That his husband was there in the audience. And he literally said, I would take quickly. it in a second. And then he goes, but I'm glad it doesn't exist. Because otherwise I wouldn't <laughs> have my marriage my... to Chastin. And then they pan to Chastin. And he has the most pained look on his face ever. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And also like a weird half smile. Where like half yeah. his face is trying to smile. But he's so fucking pissed. Yeah. Or and confused like, or hurt. or All of it. Yeah. I'm watching this and I'm thinking like. What the fuck are you doing? What does that even mean? I don't know any queer people who are like, I wish I was straight. I literally don't. Like, nobody that I know well, is like, being straight would be great. The We're kids all just like, the, that sounds awful. I mean, the kids from the horror stories who let the priests waterboard them, maybe, and electrocute them. Right? Sure, right. Yes. If you're made to believe somehow that who you are is inherently immoral, wrong, and you're going to hell... And that you can be cured, then yes, you pray for that. So why would Pete say that? Because Pete has come out before, obviously, and been like, I'm unapologetically gay. You know, there's no problem with it. Or he's at least inferred it. And now he's kind of saying, like, "Uh, I wish I wasn't. Like, (laughs) what you're basically doing... He's never said I'm unapologetically gay. He's just said, like, well, turns out I'm gay. That's his thing. There's no pride. Well... He doesn't want to be gay. I think that's true. But does him saying, I wish there was a pill not to be gay, like endorse the idea of conversion therapy? Because like people like Mike Pence yeah. are like, we could fix it. Yeah. I got your pill right here. I got your pill right here. Pray a lot and I'm going to electrocute you. Jesus fucking Christ. I mean, that's like, that is, that's so great. All the gay people go vote for the guy who wishes he was straight. That's going to be <laughs> great for the gay people. What the fuck? What the fuck? Like, is he actually ashamed that of being gay? And who is he trying to appeal to? Like, what what is his rationale there? So I have the answer for that because I asked an older white lady that I work with. She's a very sweet lady. I like her a lot. And sometimes I just ask her things because I just need a fucking reality check. And she was like, well, I mean, I think that's distasteful, obviously, but... It does remind me of the arguments back in the 80s and 90s where we tried to tell people if they could be straight, they would. They can't help it. But so they can't help it. So just accept them because they this is who they are. They can't help it. She's like, I think that might be what he was trying to say. And I was like, that's even worse. Yeah, he's, he's, <laughs> he's appealing to the, the nice oh. white ladies of that generation who were grossed out by it, but then came to realize, like, this is your nature. You, you can't, can't help, help it. it. You so just let him thing. be gay. At least he's married. He's not one of those gays with the chaps. Which, again, goes back to his bullshit Mm. trying to do a campaign event in a gay club. And because there were drag queens and a stripper pole, he asked them to remove the drag queens and remove the stripper pole because it was unsightly. Then don't do an event there. They kicked him out. (laughs) They were like, absolutely not. This is a fucking gay bar. Have you ever been in one? (laughs) There is no gay bar without a fucking pole and some drag queens. You want to do an event, go not to a, fucking... Not a good one. Go to fucking Cracker Barrel and do an event. <laughs> not doing it here. We have drag queens and gay people in the gay bar. Go to your fucking event somewhere else. Goodness. 
So you didn't vote for Buttigieg is what you're saying. Oh, yeah. I'm such a fan. It gets worse that he's gay for me. It really is. If he was just a straight white dude, I'd be like, well, he's fucking clueless and an asshole. And it's fine because he doesn't know. But he does. And and it's just worse. And if you listen to our podcast a few months ago, we didn't know this about him. He hadn't revealed that part of himself yet. There were like whispers out there like, "Eh, this guy isn't what you think. And we're like, I don't know. He seems okay. Right. It I was, mean, it I was gotta, weird that he like came out after he got out of the military. But I got to credit like, Armando because mm-hmm. when this guy first came on the scene and we were like, hey, he seems to say the right thing. What's the problem? Armando was like, this guy is a fake and a phony and bullshit and you people are getting suckered by him. And I didn't know what he was talking about. Now I know what he was talking yep. about. He sniffed him out Yep. a mile away. Well, good for him. I, you know. I'm a I'm a benefit of the doubt kind of gal, and, and we uh, learned, and we learned, we learned before and we, you know, we, we got talked to Arliss too, and she is in Indiana, and, yeah. and he's a pretty innocuous guy there. Like he's you know, especially mm-hmm. if you're not. I don't remember exactly what she said about him, but it wasn't a ringing endorsement. It was not there. at all, but it wasn't like he's horrible. Yeah, because he's not on its face, right? Well, com- comparatively speaking, correct. no, he's not Bloomberg, but right. But like I can't, I I can't with this fucking guy. Like I I do wish I'm with him. I wish he was also straight. But he's getting. <laughs> I also wish he was straight. If I could give him a pill, I would. <laughs> Fuck out of my community. Fuck out of here. Yeah, well, he's getting worse. Like as he's more desperate to appeal to more, you know, mo- quote moderate people, whatever the fuck that means. Maybe you'll. I don't even know. I don't know. I can't with this guy. Anyway. Anyway, that's about going to wrap it up for us. feels like we were just getting warmed up when it's time to finish, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll have plenty more to say. We're going to try to have some more guests on, um, so stay tuned for that. Yeah, let us know what you guys are thinking about, if you can, um, in terms yeah. of like any kind of deep dives or stuff's going on that nobody else is covering, um, and people that you like online or that you think are interesting um, that you think would be a good addition that might want to be guests. Even if it's just like people you know that are super smart or passionate about something, um, hit us up. One of us is likely to be on with uh, Kegro and Greg uh, this coming week. Talk about Post Super Tuesday. So uh, we'll see about that. And um, yeah. on that, stay active, stay tuned, stay involved. I'm Travis. I'm Rachel. And wash your hands and yep. stop touching your face. Yep. <laughs> All right. Talk, All right. Talk to you next week. Bye.